Hey y'all, it's your girl Charmaine Fury, aka Mixed Girl Maine, host of Militantly Mixed, Blurred Comixed, and the Bifurious Podcasts. If you listen to any of my shows, you can tell I have a lot to say on a lot of different topics. I decided to jump on the podcasting bandwagon last year, and it has absolutely changed my life for the better. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? I'm sure you have a lot to say on something, right? You might want to consider Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. It gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use right from your phone or computer. Their creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so that they sound great. They'll distribute your podcast for you, and you can be heard everywhere. On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and any of your favorite podcatchers. You can easily make money from your podcast as well, and with no minimum listenership. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Have fun, y'all. This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. I like them both, I just can't decide Cause tonight I know I need you beside us I'm iconic baby, call me by Korea I like them both, there's no need to decide, no We like girls, we like girls and boys, boys We like girls, we like girls and boys, boys I'm iconic baby, not no by Korea I would like to acknowledge that the Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the traditional lands of the Karankawa, the Chumash, and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey y'all, welcome to the Bi Furious Podcast, a safe space LGBTQ plus show for those of us that feel marginalized from the mainstream LGBTQ plus community. I am your host, Charmaine Fury, and I know that I said a couple, well, last month that I was going to be dropping uh, episode two and three since returning from our two year hiatus with Bi Furious Podcast, reviewing days two and three of Colexicon. And I did record an episode that actually combined Colexicon day two and three together, but I haven't had a chance to finish editing it. And then as soon as I got back from Vegas, things changed. <laughs> things got real busy. Uh, my comic book shop, Gulf Coast Cosmos Comic Book Co. in Houston, Texas, ended up getting a lot of press. We were on KHOU um, news program, H-Town Rush, and several articles were written about us in the Houston Chronicle, the Full Sail University Alumni Magazine, online magazine KHOU also wrote an article for their website and since then we've uh, we've done interviews for things that haven't come up yet that that will drop soon for the Houston press so things got really busy and we started to um, get a lot more business which is all good problems to have but it just I ended up putting the editing on the back burner and now a month has gone by almost and I haven't released that episode so hopefully I'll get that up because there were some critical things that I did want to discuss in terms of diversity, inclusion, and equity at the con that um, I have feelings about. Um, so I do want to bring that episode up. I just haven't got a chance to finish editing it. That being said, what I'm dropping today is actually the audio from the first in a series of conversations on queerness that I will be doing with a guest on the Instagram channel for By Furious Pod. So if you follow us on Instagram at ByFuriousPod, you'll be able to see um, in the future any upcoming conversations on queerness that I'll be having. I'm hoping to do these once a month for now and then eventually try to find a way to do them once a week. But for now, once a month, I will do a different episode on Instagram Live in which I talk to another member of the queer community about various topics that affect us as queer people. And how I wanted to start that off was a topic that I think is important and a necessity for most of us, and that is finding chosen family. Finding chosen family tends to be very important for our survival. As queer people, um, not all of us get to stay, quote unquote, in our families that we're born into when we come out. Sometimes we struggle with acceptance across various aspects of our intersectionality. So finding your tribe finding your people that have some form of crossover 
with your experience is important. And for queer people, sometimes that's how we survive the initial coming out process. So I wanted to have a conversation about finding chosen family and the importance of that with a member of my chosen family, Professor Johnny Terry from Sierra College. We've known each other for about 23 years. When we met, he was a professor at Sierra College still. He was just starting out his career there. And I was a technical director in distance learning classes. So for those that are a little bit younger than me (laughs) that are listening, uh, the way you used to do uh, virtual classes back in the 90s was through cable TV, uh, local cable channels. You'd have to watch the, the video online. You could call in and ask questions of a professor, and I was the voice that you would hear for Johnny's classes. I would screen the calls and then break in and let him know that he had a student at the same time controlling the cameras and the microphones and the soundboard for the class. And over the course of time that I was working for Johnny, we ended up realizing that we both had a a thing about Rock Rock Hudson and Doris Day movies. And so that became a routine that we had over the course of his distance learning classes. And I think I covered him for two years, maybe three years. Um, But that was the start of our relationship. And simultaneously, my then friend, not boyfriend, not husband, but then friend was taking classes with Johnny Terry. And so we were creating separate relationships with Johnny um, at the same time and ended up becoming friends and chosen family. So much so that Johnny is actually the person who married my husband and I. Uh, He officiated our wedding and that was really important when we when we realized we were moving to Texas and I would need health insurance. We decided to get married. <laughs> so we are married for the insurance. And the only way that that made sense to do that is with Johnny Terry uh, performing the ceremony. So that's what happened. But as a member of my chosen family and a professor of LGBTQ studies, I thought he would be the perfect person to kick off this series of conversations with queerness and this particular topic, Finding Chosen Family. Although he may pop up from time to time again, as we both do a lot of work in queer spaces, and sometimes I get brought along for work that he's doing, thankfully. And um, so there's a few other topics that we'll want to address together. But going forward, my plan is that at least once a month from now, I will host an IG Live with a different member of the LGBTQ plus community talking about different topics related to queerness. I have a few ideas of topics that are coming up, but if there's anything that you would like to hear, please feel free to reach out through email byfuriouspod at gmail.com, or you can slide into the DMs on Twitter or Instagram at byfuriouspod also. So without further ado, I'm going to move it on over to the audio from our Instagram live session on November 2nd, Conversations on Queerness, Finding Chosen Family with Professor Johnny Terry. Welcome to the Bi Furious Podcast, a safe space LGBTQ plus podcast for those of us who feel marginalized from the mainstream LGBTQ plus community. I am Charmaine Fury, your host, and this is a new series that we are starting with the show um, through IG Live. And today I'm going to be joined by my good friend and I don't know, we're like kindred. I don't know what we are. We, we love each other. My good friend, Johnny Terry, who is a professor at Sierra College in the Humanities and LGBTQ Studies Department, actually created the LGBT uh, Studies Department. And we are going to be talking about finding chosen family in the queer community, which for many of us is almost a necessity for survival. So I'm going to bring Johnny into the chat. There you are. Hey, Charmaine. How are so, you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's a good day. I got my hair cut. Nice. I'm nice, feeling nice. pretty good. Got my Excellent. bird moved in with me down here. Been playing at the park with the bird. Oh, really? Yelling, hello, and I love you at strangers, kind of like me. 
Which one is this? This is Bindi, the African Grey. She's okay. going to be mine that stays with me for good. My favorite memory of looking after the house of the animal rejects it that you used to have with all these all these poor animals uh, was with Poulet, your old uh, parrot that uh, bit me because yeah. I was a woman. Yeah, um, I still bear the mark of Poulet. <laughs> I can't see it, but it's it's around here somewhere. She bit me because I wasn't a man. <laughs> I'm surprised right. she didn't bite me for the exact same reason. <laughs> <laughs> she she loved Tristan, but for some reason she was not vibing with me. Plus, I was terrified of her because I don't know why, but I was terrified of her. So I guess I gave off the uh, it's okay to bite me vibes because yeah. she walked right up to me and just like, ah, right on. She was adopted yeah. by a good friend of mine, Sue Michaels. And when Sue took her in, uh, Poulet took up with Sue's husband and hates her. Just completely <laughs> despise, <laughs> despises her. Isn't that funny? It's so rude. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is rude. It is rude. All right. So we wanted to get on here together. Well, we... we uh, for, the, for folks that are listening, Johnny and I have known each other for... Almost 20 years, 23, 23 years. years. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because you can base it off the ages of the kids. Jeez, <laughs> that's a right? long damn time. That, that predates actually Tristan and I getting together. We were so friends when um, when I first met you. So you've been a big part of my life. You, you've been, we, we were on the Rock and Doris show when you did your distance learning classes. I was your distance learning tech in the background. I was the voice that people could hear calling in just like, hey, there's a call. Someone has a question for you or something. And we would we would do our little Doris and Rock Hudson deal or whatever. Uh, and then, of course, you married me. So yes. there's that, too. I so did. We, <laughs> so we've been in each other's lives for a really long time. And it's because a big part of me actually transitioning over from just podcaster to public speaker has a lot to do with you giving me opportunities to speak at Sierra College for the Spectrum Pride um, events. Uh, I guess that was three years ago at this point. 2018 was the first time I got to do that. And so I wanted you to start off this series with me um, because it makes sense for you to be involved in this kind of stuff so that we can talk about um well, we could talk about any number of things under under the sun where we probably is concerned. will. <laughs> We're gonna meander. Hour. We're definitely gonna meander. Uh, but I wanted to get in to kind of start this series off by talking about something that I think is pretty critical in the queer community, and you and I have talked about it a bunch of times, and that is chosen family, finding chosen family, which for a lot of us can be a survival method. And um, I would like to say that you are a part of my chosen family also because. You, you fucking are, so <laughs> so why not right? talk to you about it? <laughs> it's true. It's true. I believe I started saying I love you, Charmaine, before you were even comfortable with that. <laughs> so it takes me a long time to warm up. Sometimes I love before I'm willing to admit it. Um, but you're also one of the people that I can hug, so that's a thing. <laughs> I, I've met that mark, yeah. Uh, so let's get into it. Um, do you, well, before we get into it, do you want to talk a little bit about what it is that you do um, with your with um, having created the, the LGBT studies department at Sierra and some of the other work that you do? And then we can get into it. Sure. Uh, it's something about which I'm really, really proud. And just so you know, it's, it goes back to you want Clarice wanting to silence the lambs. Um, right. So um, my mom attempted suicide when she found out about me and I lost my chosen. I lost my family, my biological family at that point. To, mm -hmm. They gave me money to leave the state. So I moved to California and, and put myself through school there, starting at San Diego City College. And I went all the way through a master's program without ever once seeing myself reflected back in the version of reality they taught me in higher education. I didn't exist. Um, and that's sort of a displacement that goes on. I felt like I belonged there because I was white and I was male. Um, I didn't feel like I belonged there because I was a gay man, because I was queer. And I felt like I had to like sort of pull that part of my identity off of myself to be mm -hmm. a serious student. And in fact, if I wanted to write a term paper at that time about an LGBT topic, people would tell me, well, you need to be more serious uh, about your academic 
studies and not mm. writing about your own personal story. So um, I went all the way through the master's program without my, seeing myself reflected back. So at San Diego State, when I was working on my master's, I petitioned to be able to um, write my master's thesis on Michel Foucault and queer theory. And it was declined. And they said, because the reason was that it was a uh, altruistic reason. They wanted to help me get a job teaching. Uh, and I would never get a job teaching LGBT queer theory. Never. Um, none of them were psychic, I guess. Uh, but I was hired by Sierra College in 1998 to teach um, philosophy. And that's where I met Tristan. I think he may have been and Michelle and and uh, the others, I think that they may have been in my first class that I taught at Sierra. Maybe it may have been the second or third semester. Maybe. Yeah, I, I know it was early on. And I remember and this is back when we were just friends. He was he was talking about you a bunch. But I didn't realize until way later that the person he was talking about. Well, no, at the time he first started talking about you, I hadn't started doing your distance learning. I did it the following semester with you. And then it was like, hey, I know I you're the yeah, I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> I think I even like sat in your class one day as just a like I just sat in there. Probably, like probably. Well, you sat in them every one of the ones that you helped me record for TV. You sat in them over and over and <laughs> over. So you, but you we got to work jokes. on our material so that by the time I was I was done doing that, we were pretty good. We could have taken it on the road. Yeah. So when I started teaching at Sierra, I had to to be a serious professor. I had to section that part of my personality off as well and come to campus and be invisible with regards to my sexual orientation. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I turned that into um, first I wrote a humanities course that was intro to LGBT studies and that was approved. But I told them then I'm, I'm moving for a department and a degree. So mm -hmm. I did create the um, the second LGBT studies AA degree in the state of Cal uh, in the community colleges in the state of California and the third LGBT studies department. And so now I walk in every semester to a class full of students and I am they are seeing themselves reflected in my classes. And so I'll give you this example and then we can move on. But um, I always, students sometimes when they see themselves reflected and they're learning about LGBTQ history and they're learning about, um, they're, they're just seeing that, it's an emotional impact on them. Mm -hmm. So very often before we get to any sort of analysis, um, I have to give them the opportunity to just express. Yeah. So I tell them just, you know, full credit, this is no stakes, just tell me what you feel about what we saw in the film that we've just watched. Mm -hmm. And for example, we had watched um, common thread stories from the quilt about the AIDS epidemic. And I had a, a gay male veteran student in my classroom. And afterwards I said, okay, the class was in tears. And I said, okay, just tell me what you're feeling right now, uh, what you're thinking. And he wrote so hard. This is hanging on my wall at the office. He wrote so hard with a pencil on a piece mm. of paper that he tore through the paper. Mm. And he wrote the fucking bullshit that I've taken so many history courses and never heard this stuff before. And I'm learning about it in an elective class that everyone else gets to avoid. Yeah. Right. So, um, so that's what I've done here. I've created that. I'm so proud of that. And I've got, I, I'm getting a lot of opportunities right now. I'm doing some consulting work with another great college. I was contacted by the president who's just fierce, who said, you know, Will you help us do some stuff with our LGBT students? And I just get such a sense of purpose because I'm silencing those fucking lambs, right? Mm -hmm. this, this is what I needed. Yeah. Um, I tell my students that they should be the role model they'd always wish they had. And I kind of feel like I'm, I'm achieving that somewhat a little bit the, now. There's so much that I think that I, even I'm noticing about myself as I've gotten into my 40s that I'm I've just like it was an accident, but it ended up happening that I created a whole bunch of things that I was missing as a child. And so now a lot of what I'm doing is talking backwards in time to, mm. you know, preteen Charmaine that's trying to figure out. Do I want to be that girl or do I have a crush on that girl? Or, you know, is it okay for me to walk around with my racially ambiguous face? Or, you know, like, can I be a nerd, a comic book nerd and things like that? Because I always walked into spaces where I wasn't the demographic. So I think not everybody can do this, but when you can, that creating something for what you missed 
and the amount of what what it's going to give to other people that, you know, it, it may kind of start out kind of accidentally selfish and kind of maintain a little bit of selfishness. Like this is something I did for me, but in the end, like the impact that it has on so many other people, like I, I can feel the emotion. There, there was something that um, you and I both did. We did it separately though. We, we participated in IG live for, um, uh, the student Senate of California community colleges. And we had separate topics, uh, but on yours, I sat through watching and I remember the, I could see the emotion creep up in you when you were talking about, you know, to go that long without being reflected and then to have to be the person to step up and do that in the space that you occupied like that. I know that it has an impact on people, but I can also tell that it it's healing you to a degree because you didn't have that when you were younger. Yeah, it, I, I think it does. I think I'm fixing things. And I, Charmaine, I've seen you give presentations at Sierra College and just watching you show up with such authenticity and just say, here it is in front of you with all the different parts of your identity and watching the student, well, they really go back to one, but watching them yeah. ask questions <laughs> over and over and over and trying to engage with you. And I just think those students will never know a time before that discussion took place because those yeah. discussions are taking place for them right now, right? And I just I find that so powerful, so yeah. powerful. Because I even can think back to the beginning of our relationship. It filtered out real slow. <laughs> like, you know, it wasn't even just like, oh, maybe safe space. Maybe <laughs> like we weren't think, we didn't talk like that like, even 20 years ago. And um, so we I have told the, the story publicly that I was outed at your dinner table to you um, by my current partner. <laughs> But we were we were friends back then when it happened, and um, and even though it luckily ended up being a safe space for that to have happened in, it still was a shock to me because I I hadn't ever had to I never really like came out. I just kind of talked, and people figured out what my deal was. And in your case, I remember Tristan saying. Um, that you used to always talk about your big fat wife in class. Like that was, that was your go-to example story. Like you're like, I, you would set an example of something you would say, like, let's say hypothetically, blah, 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 me and my big fat oh, wife. Oh, I do remember. Oh my God. <laughs> that was not very hot. That was not very body positive, was it? But that well, was 20 I mean, years ago. It was 20 years ago. But also I think the, the idea was we tried to do what we could do. Like we were trying to say something, right? right. I'm, I'm an other, but I don't necessarily want to other myself. And, but I'm trying to tell you that I'm, I can talk about something different. So here's a different other that right. might not be my other that I can bring into the conversation. I, I mean, I, when I think back of some of the stuff that I used to do too, like as a way of just feeling out to see like if people could get it. And yeah. I do remember conversations with Tristan too, where he, where, um, he talked about you as a professor that, I mean, you had blown open his world. He was, he was in transition from, you know, he was an apostate, but he didn't, he wasn't all the way there yet. And he was in transition for that. And so you were really um, providing him with tools to learn how to figure out what he was believed, like what his belief system was and, and things at the time. And, and for him, it was just like, you were an example of probably something he's been talked talked against so long, like, you know, queer, queer men, this can't be safe. This can't be healthy. And he had so much time with you being safe and healthy and even telling stories that he could relate to in a kind of way. Like I, like I said, that's 23 years later. I still remember those, some of those stories. Yeah. And it was just a way to get out there. Like there's something, I don't like to use the term different because I, I like, we're the, we're the people who are existing in that. So we're not the different ones that everybody right. around us is a different one, but people treat us like the different ones, but it was like our way of kind of sharing our difference a little bit without getting all the way out. Cause we still had to be a little bit coded. I mean, yeah, there was still don't ask, don't tell. There was still. Uh, I Doma, mean, the defense of marriage act. Yeah. Absolutely. There was so many things preventing us from just basic existence or, you know, you know, basics walking around that this is the way that we did it. And when you did feel comfortable enough to, to reveal, um, I, I don't even know how it happened. I think it just eventually we knew or something. Um, I still wasn't ready yet. Cause I wasn't telling like, I like, 
he knew because he was a friend of mine and kind of happened to be around me when I was with somebody. So it was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> now, you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> um, so I think that was a, the, a big deal. So in, in terms of like when, when I was thinking about what we were going to be talking about today in terms of finding chosen family, I, I cannot believe that it's 20 years, but only 20 years that I go from reluctantly uh, confirming me being outed at your dinner table to like all these years later, we're just like, we're never not talking about our queerness and being, being visible for ourselves. But I think also we're being visible for the people who can't be visible. Yeah. And, and that's a, there's a, there's a risk involved in that, but there's also a safety involved in that too, for us, because now that we're publicly visible, um, people know at least they, they can rely on us as, as a, resource or or as um reflection like you said reflecting you you weren't reflected in your program i mean i for damn sure wasn't reflected i mean how many black japanese queer uh poly (laughs) people were out there you know like i've never seen it so i had to do i had to do that stuff and in doing that um with my other podcasts with militantly mixed and and with my comic book podcast that was me trying to find my place publicly and 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 just exist out so that I didn't have to always explain what my thing is. I could always just say, well, Google this thing and you'll find out what my deal is. Um, yeah. I struggled a lot harder with the queer with the queerness side, not because I wasn't openly talking about it, but I didn't know how to be a visible person in in the way that allowed other people to know that I could be a safe place for them t- as well. Right. Um, so, but you work for me. And, and you work for me. And I think that that's a part of where if we look at Sierra College at that time, I mean, that we found each other is not unusual. I mean, that, that we were working together mm-hmm. uh, so closely um, and talking to each other every Monday and Wednesday, every Tuesday and Thursday <laughs> when we were doing the classes together. Um isn't unusual, but that we would gravitate to each other, I think is natural because Sierra College, I think might still be, I went to a conference a few years ago and they were looking at, okay, um, so where is the racial ethnic diversity in the state and the community college system? And Sierra was the whitest college mm. in, in, the, in the state. And so they told us this, we're looking at the front and they said, okay, but if you flip it over in the back and you look at this is 10 years from now, this is uh, how brown uh, the community colleges are. You flip it over. It didn't change. Oh, wow. Sierra didn't change. And um, I was the gay guy at Sierra for so long, for so many years. And um, I don't think it was ever hostile. It was just invisible and erased. Mm-hmm. Um, so d- just when you're talking about, you know, that um, it's not like you were hiding your queerness or whatever, but it, it, to bring it up, I think, was a heavy lift. It, it yeah. was for me. And yet I had to do it because I had a husband and I had kids, yeah. especially the part about having kids. Because when you got little kids, I mean, we would take our two kids out somewhere and someone would turn around and say, look at Micah and say, sweetheart, where's your mom? And Micah's hands would go to his hips. And I'd be like, no, I have here. a daddy and a pop. <laughs> I remember That's the grocery right. store once. <laughs> That's right. Um, so I want to tell a story real quick about um, during those days, um, I had a student. I was going to speak. I used to speak for the human sexuality classes as the gay guy. And I would go in and I would speak about my life as a gay guy. And it it was scary. And the students would always like one of the first three questions would be like, so are you a pitcher or a catcher? And I'd be like, um, I'm someone who's not going to answer that question. Cause that's a little irritating, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, it's not like you have to choose one field, one position to play anywhere on that field or, and it doesn't have to even have to be about penetration. But, um, so I had to cancel one time because I had another meeting and a student from that class, and I'm only going to use the initial G because he might be watching. Um, G, this student, this young student came to my office and said, hey, um, uh, you were going to come te- speak to my human sexuality class. Can you tell me what you're going to speak about? And I said, yeah, um, I was going to I was going to talk about having a husband and having two kids that were raising kids together. And he said, oh, I'm like you. And I, I'm such a smart ass. I looked at him and I said, oh, you've got kids? And he said, no, the other thing. <laughs> the other even, thing. Yeah, he couldn't even say it. Yeah. And I, I'm like, well, I've got some books on my shelf that you could take. And he's like, no, I 
I can't put those in my backpack. I mean, and I, he had, it turned out he had a gay uncle and I said, well, you can call your uncle. And he said, no, my gay uncle lives in Hawaii. And he said, besides, I always heard what my parents said when my uncle and his partner left the house when the door was shut. Right. And so, um, this kid, he ended up coming over, having dinner with us. He became my community too. Generally, I'd have to look to students to form community. Right. Because there's no one else there like me, right? So he would come over. He met the kids when they were little. About five years ago, I was at Winco shopping. And I turned around and I looked in this guy's eyes. He had no hair on his head whatsoever because of the time that had passed. But I looked right at him and I screamed, Gee! I mean, immediately. And he now is married, has a husband, and his life is great. And his parents were super wonderful. And it's a great story. But Sierra College at that time was that place. It's like you would say, and I would not answer questions. That was back in the day where people would say, so, Charmaine, where do you go out? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hoping you'd say faces. didn't you see the hanky in my back pocket with the hanky code? And yeah, the that? codes, yeah, the color codes. <laughs> so, yeah, there was so many. And honestly, like, even for me, and I, I think I've shared this story on this show, but I know I've shared in other places. Even for me to partner with a woman for the first time was literally an opportunity. It wasn't an attraction-based thing. It wasn't we had been building a relationship or anything like that. We were We were classmates. They mentioned being curious. I took I took the shot just for that, and just to get it get that monkey off my back, right? Like right. it's so it's so awful that to think of like that's my that's my first legitimate experience in you know in embracing and starting towards embracing what I was was like I'm not attracted to this person, but they said they would so. You know, like it was, it was, that was just how you did it in 1999. Like it wasn't, um, and I always marveled once, once I, once it was clear that you and I both were part of the members of the community, part of the same community. Um, and I started to go to your house for dinners and, and, um, things like that and and hang out with the kids and stuff like that. I remember marveling, like y'all were the, I didn't know how to describe it. it. It, it would just be like, there is this gay couple and they have children and they like live in a house like a family. Like I remember thinking things like that, like like a family. Yeah. Yeah, And I ate with you, but I would say like a family. And it took years to translate, to fix my brain, to say they're a family versus like a family, because we couldn't, we didn't even have the language to comfortably accept that like you could exist this way and, and to think that, you know, I mean, it had, I, I will say it has gotten a lot better. Um, we can't, we can be a lot more open and a lot more visible and things like that. But I think, so I like to call it smell your own kind where you don't know how you get paired up, but somehow you get paired up and the, the vibe, ends up coming out eventually it, it, but it did, it just took me a lot longer to talk about it. Cause in my case, I grew up in, uh, with entertainers and hairstylists. We had gay people around us all the time. That was fine. But the ones that were in my family, there was always, you know, like Jesus, you know, I remember what they said about my uncle when he and his partner would leave. So like, I knew it wasn't an okay thing for me. I knew that we could have our friend, you know, I knew that they could have their friends come over and that would be fine. And we could share meals and things like that, but we couldn't be that. Right. Um, so yeah, so I never actually, my, most of my extended family probably still does not know unless by now they've discovered it through Facebook or, you know, talking to a cousin or something like that. Um, I never officially came out to my family, um, about being, um, a bisexual person. I did come out about being poly because eventually I had a partner. Yeah. I had a thruple, (laughs) a thruple. And, um, if people were going to come over, they were going to need to know, like, this person has equal footing in this house, but you don't. So. Right. You know, they're not going to leave just because you showed up. Um, so that was a bigger thing for me is coming out. But I think in terms of finding the vibe between us. Um, Could I, I say one more just... thing about that before we talk about finding the vibe? And 
Um, I had an experience where, so I teach in the LGBT studies department. So clearly I'm out loud and proud there. I mean, how can sure. I I'm teaching LGBT studies, but I also teach philosophy and humanities. So when students look for me in the schedule under philosophy and humanities, it's sort of cloaked. I mean, there's, it's just Terry, my last name there, mm -hmm. right? So I had a student who signed up for one of my classes and emailed me after signing up and before the class started and said, Hey, I'm in this class of yours, this philosophy class of yours, and um, uh, my friend told me that you also teach LGBT studies, and I just want to make sure you're not going to bring any of that stuff into the room when you teach this class, because yeah. if you do, I'm going to disenroll and take another class. And my reaction to that was actually not anger, but it was like a moment of clarity where I looked at it and I thought, he owns this space. Yeah. And if we're looking at the way we lived on campus and having to smell people who were like mm -hmm. us, having to seek out that chosen family, it's because we don't own this world. We don't. They own the world. This student felt like he was entitled to an education that erased Race my too. existence, right? Yeah. And yours too. And yet we walk into a classroom still and we feel like we have to sort of like filter out that mm -hmm. aspect of ourselves and sort of cloak and do the code switching thing. And is it yeah. safe or is it not? When I go to Castro, it just feels so good walking down Castro street or being in a gay bar where I, I, it's like, I can be as feminine as I want. I can like hug up with my boyfriend as much as I want. And I want, I like mm -hmm. to hug up with my boyfriend. Now. <laughs> uh, but you know, but on campus, there's still a displacement that I live with when yeah. I go into a philosophy class and I have to filter that up. So here we are, you and I meet each other, we're working together and you're the video tech, the person with skills, and I'm sort of the talking head person who's in front of the room. And it takes this dance mm -hmm. before we can finally get to a point where we do form this chosen family. But look how tight it is once that connection yeah. is made, right? I mean, we were literally for throwing back and forth Rock Hudson and Doris Day things. And we were making it like, oh, isn't it cute that we both like old movies? Like we weren't legit telling each other something without telling each other something. Um, oh, yeah, my dog is barking. Yeah, I know. Um, I, that came up first when I was teaching some ethics uh, story or something, some ethical theory. And I was like, no, whatever will be, will be. Case of Raw, Sarah. And you said, I have that, Tom. And you yeah. brought the DVD into I still have the DVD at yeah. home. Yeah. Not DVD, a the CD. CD yeah. I still have the CD at home. Uh, because you had Doris Day songs at home. Yeah, and Pillow Talk. I mean, Rock Hudson was a gay guy playing a straight guy who's a womanizer who pretends to be a gay guy to get Doris Day, right? Yeah. Talk about all the code shifting. I used that film, by the way, in my queer film history class. But if you remember... Uh, Doris Day and Rock Hudson shared a party line, mm -hmm. which in the early days of telephone, there would be like a whole block that was using the same line. The and same only phone one person. line, yeah. Yeah. So the students, I'm watching the movie and I'm laughing. And finally, one of the students says, excuse What's me, happening? professor, could you stop for a minute? What is going on? <laughs> First of all, why is the phone connected to the wall? And why is she always on her phone? <laughs> that's hilarious you know i forget the, how how you do have to like context for for the generation now because they just don't have the issues that like i i'm exennial so i'm born at the end of generation x and the beginning of the millennials uh but i'm i'm closer to a gen xer than i am a millennial i'm i'm, I'm old and i'm crotchety in, in my heart um so like I've get I've gotten to see so many things of technology shifting over the course of my life, going from like pre-internet to to internet phones on the wall, to where you had to drag the cable into your room just to have a private conversation, party lines, clicking and hearing someone else on your phone, even though they didn't have a party line, all that kind of stuff, and you don't even I don't even think about how like you would have to explain that movie. What is happening? What the hell is you. happening? Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of like the historical ways in which that we had to find fam family. I think nowadays people are probably a little bit more familiar with like ballroom culture and and um, and houses because of RuPaul's Drag Race and because of Pose. And if they even got a chance to see Paris is Burning, which I'm not sure if as much as the younger generation has as like people from my generation and older. Um, but even as far as the parties 
in the um, early 1900s where they would have to like pair up with a header, like a hetero pairing while really masking that they were yeah. using that as a way so that both parties could be with a partner without anybody knowing that that's what was going on. Um, that this is probably something I'll say that to, to what I know, it probably goes further back, but to what I know, it kind of starts with that sort of things. The, right. the Boston marriages were the two women that would, you know, make commitments to each other forever. And everybody just thought it was so swell that they did that. If they were going to be spinsters, at least they could have someone to live with um, down to those kinds of parties where literally gay people would pair off um, to make it look like they were just a group of friends and right. they're multiple heterosexual couples, but, but in fact, they were, they were gay couples. Um, I, I think that there's so much that is very telling in how badly we need to see ourselves, whether it's mm. you're going through your whole master's program and you don't get reflected, or you just want to have dinner with somebody without the fear, legitimately the fear of someone assuming that there's something queer about you um, and therefore putting you in danger. Um, one of the things that is really disturbing, I think, in our community is, is that LGBTQ youth accounts for nearly 50% of homelessness, um, in, in useful, useful homelessness, and that they're a hundred, 120% more likely to experience homelessness because of coming out at a young age. Yeah. And this is why we have to find people. This is why we have to smell people <laughs> sniff yeah. each other out um, to be able to find safety. You, you, I know you, but I've also heard you talk a little bit publicly about how you had people that sort of adopted you before you left and came to California. Um, and I know there's complicated things related to some of the some of the people from the from that group, but that those were people that looked after you and kind of taught you how to. So let's talk about one, because this was a, a huge realization for me. There was a guy. So in Kentucky, uh, before my parents found out, I used to sneak out and I would go to the gay bar downtown. Um, and it was called Badlands at the time. There, I don't know why that name is so popular, but it was the Badlands. And um, the first night I went up, I was like way underage. I think I was like 17. And um, it was uh, downtown. It was in the seedy area of town. Um, and Did people would, know it as the gay club or just the gays knew it as the gay place? So yes and no. I mean, uh, so we would park in the Howard Johnson's parking lot behind the bar and okay. we'd go up the alley and there was a stop sign down the street and we'd go up to the front of the door and you'd wait at the door and there'd be a line. But when the light turned green, guys from the University of Louisville would drive by and they would throw stuff. So we would be mm. like, am I getting in? Am I getting in? And if not, then you'd run back to the alley and then you would go uh, back up front and try to go in the door. So I paid and said, you know, as a 17 year old, I was like, one, please. And um, <laughs> the, the guy who was sitting there, like sort of grabbed my wrist and he said, hey, you're not 21. Come with me. And that's how he used to talk. And he took me upstairs and there was a bartender meeting going on. And he asked me, what's your name? And I'm thinking I'm going to be arrested. My parents are going to find out. And uh, I told him my name. And I told him my full name, my real legal name. This is how street savvy I was. <laughs> and he told them and he said, this is my friend, Johnny Terry. And uh, these are the bartenders. So your drinks are always free. Uh, and um, just make sure that you come up here because sometimes the bar would be raided. So the night that my mom attempted suicide, they found a letter from uh, my one of my boyfriends. His name was Gary. And he died like a few years later of AIDS. Um, but um, they found a letter from Gary. Gary had written me a letter telling me how much he missed me and in great detail what he missed about me. And he wrote on the outside of the envelope, warning enclosed material may be objectionable to mothers. And he mailed it. And of course, my mom got the mail, right? And so she opened it. So when I got home and they found out about me, um, she just walked down the hallway and swallowed a, shut the bedroom door and swallowed a whole bottle of my dad's heart medication. So I still remember this whole scene in slow motion. My sister and her husband came over. Um, they called the next door neighbor who was a nurse. My mom got taken away to the hospital. Everyone went to the hospital. I was left there alone. And I remember pacing and pacing and pacing and pacing. And I just I couldn't figure out what to do with myself. So I got in the car and I drove downtown and went to the bar. And the bar owner's name was Morris. 
and um, I can remember Morris sitting there next to me, and he he was a big, heavy set man. He was like a mountain of a man. He goes, "What's going on?" And so I told him what was happening, and that's the only time in my life I ever recollect drinking to the point of blacking out. So I don't know what happened, but the next morning I woke up and Morris, the, the first two floors were the bar and Morris owned the place above us where he lived. And he had me carried to his guest room and uh, I was put to bed fully clothed. I woke up the next morning and there was a note on the TV and it said, I hope you feel okay. Uh, just go to the restaurant on the corner and um, they, they'll give you uh, breakfast. Just tell them to put it on my tab. They'll be expecting you. So I went over and had breakfast. Then I went home and I dealt with the stuff of my family. And uh, they gave me the money and I left town. So I later wrote Morris and told him where I was. Twice he sent me round trip airline tickets back to Louisville and said, you need to come home and work things out with your parents. So I would fly home and I never really worked things out with my parents. It just didn't happen that way. Um, But he was someone who really, really took care of me and would check in on me. And he would, he flew out once and drove to visit me. And any, I, okay, here's the thing. He never, wait, hold on. I felt an emotion. Okay, it's gone. Um, he never made moves on, but I thought that he would, you know, I, and here's the other thing. If he did, I would have, I would have, um, slept with him. I would have, but he never made moves with me, uh, on me. Uh, he just did this because he cared about me. Not very long ago, I was talking to this guy who's on the Discovery Badlands website. And these are people who remember going to that bar in those early days when this sort of stuff happened. And there was a guy there and he posted something about Morris. And I said, yeah, he was great. He was a really good friend. I really miss him. I'm really sorry that he passed away. And the guy wrote back and he said, are you kidding? He was a monster. And this guy was an African-American guy. He was a black guy. And he was a bartender. And when Morris bought the bar... He fired all the black bartenders and kept the white bartenders and hired other people. So when he told me this, I told him what Morris was like to me. I suddenly realized that Morris's treatment of me was predicated upon the fact that I'm white. And I really had to sit and think through this about it was my whiteness, at least, that made it possible for him to look out for me. Mm-hmm. And coming to terms with that was difficult. But um, if Morris were alive today, what could I say? I've got one son that's Mexican mestizo. I've got another son who's biracial, African-American, Caucasian. And um, I've grown since then. And it's like this sort of stuff is completely unacceptable, Morris. Mm-hmm. You've got to change. I love what you did for me. But tear down that statue. I, I can't hold yeah. that up. Yeah. I mean, even chosen family can be can be complicated too because we definitely needed somebody maybe to come in like a, a mentor or a guide or an Obi Wan or something like that. You know, in that early early phase, but finding out that there's something problematic about them separate from that later can can complicate the way you feel about the relationship. But had you not had that. When yeah. you had it, who knows what could have happened to you? So it's it's both like very special and important that you had that person. Unfortunate that that person wouldn't have extended those same type of um, support and you know, care to to people based off of race and things like that. So, so I can I yeah I can understand that it it would be. It's hard when you got to reframe your your memory of a person based off of of things like that. Um, yeah got to be done it's got to be done you still got to do the work you know um and i think it's okay to still like be grateful for what they did provide while still because i i have a situation like that with with a a relative that looked after me after my mom's person (laughs) um was complicated for me and um me and that family member no longer communicate because we had something different separate us but i'll never not value the period of time that they looked after me and protected me as well um but you know that's just complicated it's just complicated uh but when it comes to the chosen family like yeah i mean you're not always it's not always going to be a perfect thing but the early stages of finding someone that just validates your existence as a queer person 
I mean, that's the difference between you that, I mean, that's the difference of someone's self-esteem possibly like being able to just feel worthy to walk around and, and exist. And right. I think it's important that you got that when you got that. Cause you were, you know, 16, 17, maybe. And you probably were like, fuck, yeah. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a kid in the South and I'm queer. And what the hell am I going to do with my life? You know? I imagine that was that that was very difficult. And I know that it might have been a lot easier even, you know, 10 or so years later when I'm starting to come up. But even for me, it wasn't that quite ready, you know, like quite comfortable. It was the the proximity thing. It's like and it's funny because it happens in my family through race and it happens in my family through queerness, too. Right. Like there's legitimately people I'm biologically related to that would be like, I could have a black best friend, but my daughter better, better not marry a black man. And, (laughs) um, you know, meanwhile, they marry into a Japanese family or something like that too. So like, I, I literally have blood relatives that would not be okay with the fact that I'm this concoction of blackness and Japanese-ness and whiteness. And then on top of it, Hey, let me throw in a couple more complications. Um, I'm bisexual, I'm polyamorous. And sometimes there's three people living in my house and sometimes there's two. Um, and it, you know, it, it's just a mess, but having people like you at the age, at the, at the stage that I had, um, I had to go through tears with you. It was like, first it was just kind of living in awe or experiencing kind of an awe about you existing like you did because I, up until that, all I had ever seen was like my, I do have a gay uncle also. And he had a partner that was his roommate and you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's like, I knew what was happening, but we were never really allowed to talk about it, but they always talked about it when he wasn't around. So it's not like I didn't know. Um, but I knew it was taboo enough, at least in my family. So even though I, I would walk into their house and they had pictures of like art, art pictures, like they had Maplethorpe, so, you know, they, they had right, um, right. stuff like that. Uh, so I really would have questions every time I walked in, you know, so I know what was happening, but we weren't really allowed to even voice it. And I don't think I ever really proper had a conversation with my uncle about this um, before we stopped talking <laughs> uh because again family's complicated uh yeah. and then you know for me to like like be his queer like niece and never really have the conversation about like hey you're the re- i'm probably closest to you than all the other aunts and uncles because there's something an overlap between us um, we never we never got around to have that so when i when i saw you guys existing it was like oh fuck this is a thing like you could do this and like not be killed <laughs> if that's possible um, you're, you know, I mean, I think I understood that, um, there was probably issues with your families and stuff like that too, but you created a space where there were constantly people loving people that were around. Um, I remember the nuns. Yeah. I remember, yeah. I even remember Micah's biological mother Mom. being yes, there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that there was always people there and it was never about, the fact that we were all connected through queerness in some way, shape or form, it was just that we were there and having, and having time. And that was such a huge thing for baby queer Charmaine, because I didn't even know you could talk about it, let alone like literally sit at a dinner table and the people, the two people at the head of that dinner table are a queer couple. And these children that are next to them are their children. Like it was a huge thing for me. And and it gave me that desire to want to provide that, safety right for others as, as i meet them too whether it's in mixedness or queerness or my even my comic book shop with the little black and brown nerds that can come into there and just like exist as as nerds without people harassing them um all of that i i i definitely think um i feel that i learned it was possible by being an adopted member in your family for yeah. you know and you and Tristan were. You both were. Um, I mean, we housed that. family. Yeah. Um, we looked after the crooked-necked turkey and the... <laughs> oh, I remember that turkey. That turkey that was genetically bred to be eaten, and uh, along about October, it could, it's so fat its legs wouldn't hold it up, and the vet told us, oh you know. Gosh. Micah raised that thing in a towel in the house so it would come to the back door and scream for him. And then um, we took it to the vet because it couldn't walk. And the vet's like, oh, yeah, this is unfortunate. They're bred to gain weight. So uh, he needs to be food in November or he's going to die. Oh, anyway. no. So we built him a sandbox so he didn't have to walk and had misters to keep him cool. And he still died. 
He did. <laughs> I can't believe so we have that bird. I remember the bird. I remember blind kibu. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I I mean I definitely felt at home in your home, and then for a period of time it was my home because I moved in to to look after the animals when you traveled. So um, I think it was a, yeah, it was a it was a, a long a long time. It was, but it also like gave us a chance to like live together um, because you know that was also complicated with my family too. So. Um, getting that opportunity across the board. It was like your house, the Terry house was, was a safe house to be in. And like I said, I think that was a critical thing for me. Cause I don't know if I would have gotten to the point of being more visible if I didn't see it, you know, yeah. you, you need somebody to jumpstart that for you. And well, I think. So if I could, I just want to say that um, the people who came into the house who were family, like you and Tristan, um, also helped us too, because at the same time we were living as a gay couple who couldn't get married. We became domestically partnered, then we became married, then we became divorced. Uh, but um, during that process, when we first moved up here, all of our friends took their kid, their babies to a pediatrician. His name was Dr. Stone. I will say that over and over and over. I called to make an appointment to go see Dr. Stone. And his receptionist took my information and said mother's name. And I said, oh, we're, we're two men. Uh, we're a couple and we're raising the kids. She, her tone was odd after that. She called back 20 minutes later and said, Dr. Stone says he wishes that you would find another doctor he doesn't want to oh. see you. And we put our kids into an elementary school. And the other, some of the other parents were having trouble with my ex driving on field trips. So we had to, I don't know if you remember, we had to take the kids out of school and homeschool them for I three or four years. Yeah. So if, if we created an oasis, I'm glad we created an oasis where you felt comfortable and you're, you and Tristan being so loving and caring with us helped us find that place of, of solidity too, because the external world was yeah. shitty. It was just shitty. And yeah. constantly reminded that you are different. Yeah. And you don't own this space. You, you need don't to own this space. that identity off of you when you come in here. Right. Yeah. I think that's why it's, it's very, it's, it's, it's very intentional when I say that that home was a safe home. Cause it was, it is like a bubble, right? It, it, um, you had all that land in the back and, you know, you could just be, back there there was the birds there was the tortoise there was all the animals and you could just be um we had a basketball I, court i remember and as a gay man i walked out on the court this is such a stereotype but i walked out of the court and i'm like what does one do on this thing on this court <laughs> <laughs> what does one that's do right on it's in the, it was like in the center section i totally <laughs> forgot that that was there that was just the thing you crossed down to get to the chicken coop that's you didn't do anything on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, so this thing, I think, is probably going to cut us off in like ten minutes. But okay. um, but I think uh, I when I when I wanted to, to start doing a series, or you and I have been talking about so many different things. I, I thought at least starting off with a chosen family was important because like I said, we are chosen family, but I think also um, letting people see that a family can exist beyond a period of time. I mean, I know that you had Morris for, for the time that you had him, and then you moved on and you created a family elsewhere, but I like 23 years yeah, and we are solid and tight. Yeah, and I don't like I don't have that with my biological family, and that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with queerness. Uh, it has more to do with so many other things. But um, but but knowing that I have that that I have you, um, and that you're a part of my life, and that you have me too. Um, yeah, it's just like it's possible for us to exist like this, and we and we have that. But I, I, I credit you with so many things that I don't even know that you necessarily get credit for. <laughs> um, I was just being a big old goob. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't know any other way to be. I mean, and once that you blow the that closet door down, it's like yeah. impossible to nail it back up. But yeah. Um, I am really glad that that we found each other. And I yeah. do think it's true that 
when you message me and to let me know that, for example, a reporter from a prestigious newspaper has contacted you driving down the road, I scream so loud, the cars next to me flinch. It just makes me so happy because I just see, I, I just see when you would come to Sierra College and you would give your uh, presentation and they only wanted to talk about being polyamorous and whether or not, how do you know your husband won't cheat? And you would say, well, how do you know your husband <laughs> won't, won't cheat? cheat. Yeah. <laughs> you can only cheat depending on the rule, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but um, I just, I just look at the students and think we're creating a world where um, they, this discussion will be something that has always taken place for them. I, I saw on Facebook, uh, I think it was this morning or yesterday morning that someone posted this meme and it said, what do you think teenagers today need? And people were writing things like a whooping or they were writing <laughs> stuff like that. And I just looked at it and I thought, I think what teenagers today need is, um, older people who stop telling them, look what I've done for you, mm -hmm. but, uh, help them to solve the problems that they're facing because there are issues now. I think when you and I found each other and we made family together, I think one of the reasons we made family is because in one important way of our identity, we connected and bonded. And that's the way that we were the outsider at Sierra, right? Mm -hmm. But I look at it today and for example, someone else new on the campus, that's hired new on the campus, when we factor in race, ethnicity, and by the way, one of the things I have to teach in LGBT studies is people think that's one monolithic group, mm -hmm. but there are tensions between the L's and the G's and the L's and the G's and the B's and the L's and GB's and the T's mm -hmm. and the T's and the non-binaries. And, and we're sort of unruly bedfellows, yeah. um, I guess to use a sexist term, but we're, we're, we sort of don't fit. So being, and I, I love this phrase, and I know you do too, you laugh every time you use it, being pale, male, and stale <laughs> at my age, if I meet someone who's, for example, a bisexual woman of color, I can form family in an instant, but I also see from them that there is no, I've got to, I've got to build trust first. I need yeah. to show who I am before I walk in. And right, right. gay men, gay white men have always had the microphone, right? So, and here I am with a microphone, but so, I have to yeah. build that trust. <laughs> yeah, you, you do. And I didn't even realize that too, because I think having you as a marker, maybe for, for the pale male and stale um, of queers, like I've worked, I, I took a job working as an as executive assistant for um, someone who I bonded with really great in a job interview based off of the fact that we were both queer people. But over the course of the first month that I worked for them, I was like, oh, Rich, white, cis, homosexual is not much different than rich, white, cis, heterosexual. I was not a part of the team. Like, we, I was a part of the team for a split second. But then my brownness started to become more obvious over time and their whiteness started becoming more obvious at a time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, this is not a Johnny. Like, you, you, for the longest time, you were kind of a marker for me for what I expected out of people. Um and yeah, I learned the hard way that that wasn't necessarily the case and that there, there was something different about you in particular <laughs> um, that made you that, that safe person. Um, and I can't even imagine, like, I, I know the impact that you've had on, on me and on, on Tristan too. And I know that you and I have maintained this relationship, but I wonder about all the people who were blips in the, in the life, even if they did make it to the dinner tables and things like mm -hmm. that, that might not still be around, that there's things that you are still impact. You've affected them for so long, you know, the, like maybe even G is probably one of those people, you know, you say now that they're, they're existing as their full self and they didn't have to hide it anymore. Um, that when we talk about representation matters, we mean in like, all the ways absolutely literally just knowing you're a gay white man and you're alive could be the difference for somebody right then then just like oh also we have all this other stuff in common you know like that we we you and i happen to have a whole bunch of stuff in common but in the beginning what we had in common was this thing we had to learn and, we had to learn and rock and doris and rock and doris of course <laughs> um so I, I, I hope that for anybody who is listening, um, that they, if they don't find 
or they haven't found their their chosen family, that they know that there's ways to do it and that it could happen in the weirdest places. Like, yeah. uh, you know, you weren't even my professor. You were a professor at yeah. the school that I was at. And I happened to work um, in your class. In like, so many ways, Charmaine, you are my professor. <laughs> every, seriously, every day, every presentation you give, you are the role model I wish I've had too. Um, so we are, we are family and I just feel really fortunate that, um, I found you. Yeah, I am too. I'm grateful. Hiding over in the basement of the LRC. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I was in the, that's right. I was in the dungeon. Um, I mean, they got to keep us somewhere, right? (laughs) Um, but thank you so much for joining me for this. Thank you for being my chosen family. And I didn't realize it was going to get as sappy as it got, but I, I felt it as soon as I saw your face pop up. I was like, oh, fuck, this is going to be sappy. Um, so, <laughs> so I just, yeah, you know, it's going to, I yeah. apologize to your, your listeners. They'll be fine. They, yeah. They'll probably, they'll probably feel as sappy as, as, um, as I do right now, but maybe they'll want to run out and get their own old gay white man. You know, you got to collect them all, you know, you got to have for Christmas this year. <laughs> <laughs> Like here's my collection. Here is my pale male and stale. Here is my <laughs> black and these bi poly. You know, you just gotta get. You gotta collect them all. Yeah. Uh, but again, thank you so much. All I right, appreciate you. Me. I love you. All right. And Bye. for everybody else out there, if you are looking for chosen family and you do not have resources that are easier, please feel free to slide into those by Furious Pod DMs. And if I can't be that for you, I can probably help you with finding a resource for that. Um, do not do it in isolation if you can. It's sometimes better to come out to a queer stranger than it is to come out to a non-queer loved one. So please, please, please find the way that you can be safe and find your family. And if you need to slide into the Bifurious DMs, do so. Yeah. And on that note, All right. bye. Bye. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.